Thanks for listening to Victory's podcast today. Connecting people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus is what we're all about. For more resources or to reach out to us, go to victorychristian.church. Are you ready for the Bible? Very good. Um, I want to open up this morning with a verse you may have heard, John 3.16. It says, uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only what? Son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It says in Peter that, you know, God's desire is that none would perish. I just love that at the heart of God, he does not want us to perish, but he wants us to have life and have life in him. Let's take a moment and let's pray today. Father, we love you and uh, we trust your word today. And as we go into your word, um, our hearts are open to hear from you. Our hearts are open to receive from you and um, just speak to each of us today as we go into your word. I pray for, Lord, uh, the wisdom, the leadership of your Holy Spirit as I'm sharing. Uh, I trust you, trust your word, and uh, I ask God for your Holy Spirit empowerment, Lord, just to share what's in your heart. We love you and we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about a difficult subject, and I know that gets you, like, really excited. Um, so, and, you know, sometimes when we read in the Old Testament, we, there are sections in the Old Testament where you read and you go, really, God? Like, that seems kind of harsh, right? And there are, there are times where, uh, you know, in the covenant of the law, where in the Old Testament, we're seeing people get stoned for their sins, and, you know, we imagine that picture, and we're like, yikes, right? Like, that just seems so tough. Um, there are times in the Bible where God calls um, his people to, to, to um, drive people out and kill people. And there's times in the Bible where he says, kill every man, woman, child, and animal. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like, I get just a little uncomfortable. And I'm just kind of like, ah, right? These are difficult um, passages and sometimes difficult to understand. Um, but, and it can cause us at times to avoid the Old Testament altogether, right? And just go, you know, I, I'm just a little uncomfortable because I don't quite understand everything. And um, we've covered some other difficult subjects. Last year in October, uh, I talked about hell. And, uh, you know, these, these subjects, like this is the right place to talk about the difficult subjects, right? And to, to go into the Word. And so it's certainly not apologetic that I come to you today, but I do come um, kind of with a sensitivity realizing that sometimes these things can be emotionally charging for us. And my hope for us today is that as I'm talking about a difficult situ- uh, con- context in Scripture, that there's something in us that goes, you know, I may not have the, we might not have the answers to all the hard questions, but there are answers. Some of them we can find. Some of them we'll wait on the Lord to answer. But at the end of the day, when we look at all of Scripture, God is trustworthy, and God is worthy of our worship. Amen? And so I, I want to I do that with you today as we go into, into that. Um, I mentioned that the Scripture on, uh, or the uh, message on hell last year. If you want, you can go back and listen to that one. Uh, it's not one that I plan on preaching every year all the time. Um, and so it's great that we can catalog these things. Um, and, and not because I'm apologetic about it, but just because we're you know, not going to have just a hell sermon every year. Um, 
But it was October 29th of last year. You can listen to it on the podcast. You can go into our library of live streams and go back and listen to that. Um, One of the examples of a difficult passage that I want to take you through today is found in Joshua chapter 6. The Israelites are taking the land that God had promised them, and the first city they were going to take is Jericho. And I did not tell Matt that I was preaching on the scripture, and we just sang the song about walking around these walls. Ain't the Lord good, right? And um, what happened, if, if you're not familiar with the story, is in the Old Testament, the, God's people had spent 40 years in the wilderness. They had come out of Egypt, out of the bondage uh, of slavery that they were in, and Moses had led them through the wilderness for 40 years. They actually could have had a much shorter trip. Um, the Lord wanted to take them into Canaan quite quickly, but there was fear in their heart and disobedience in their heart. And so God says, okay, I'll wait out a generation and we'll take the next generation. How many people want to be the generation that goes in rather than the generation that stays out, right? God was faithful to the generation that stayed out, but I would like to be the generation who goes in, amen? And so Jericho would be the first city that they would um, take in, in uh, going into the land of Canaan, Canaan, what you know now today is Israel. And uh, what they did is they were told for six days, each of those first six days, you were to walk around the walls one time. Uh, if you would like to see a veggie tale for this, it's an amazing veggie tale. <laughs> What's really cool is they have these French peas up on the, up on the, like, on the wall, and the French peas are mocking them. You can't knock down our wall. And it's like, you know, and these French peas are mocking them. It's so funny. Veggie tales can make like the conquest of a people seem so cute. It's kind of like, you know, the little like Noah blankets. Like you see Noah and all the animals and ignore the fact that the whole world died. Like, I mean, it's like, oh, isn't that cute? It's like, well, it's not really a cute story, actually. But <laughs> anyhow, um, so the seventh day, they were to go around seven times. And uh, they were supposed to use this amazing um, battle strategy of screaming at the top of their lungs at the walls. Uh, it's used all over the world today. You just scream and things you know, change. Um, but actually, God moved and the walls of Jericho came down. Um, I want to go to Joshua 6, 20 and, um, through 21. I'm using a little levity, but I'm going to read a scripture that's very sobering when we read it. Joshua 6.20 says, When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, and when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted to the city the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men, women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Yikes right? You read that and you go, man, that sounds really harsh, right? Um, And honestly, it really is harsh because it is judgment. And I'm going to get to that in in a moment. You know, when we look in the scriptures and we ask these hard questions like God giving them the land of Canaan, well, what about the people who live there, right? These are good questions. And, And I want to tell you, it's okay to ask hard questions, amen? And there are well-meaning people who are wanting to know if God is real and if God is worthy to be, say, to be served, but they have hard questions, right? And I, I don't have all the answers to all the hard questions, but I know there are answers to hard questions. And on the whole, that God is, can be trusted, right? But you, know, you can ask, you go, well, like, why so harsh? Um, does God... 
um, pardon me, one of the things that we have to note is that God did not always have the Israelites kill every man, woman, and child. There are some times when he did, and other times he did, and there are plenty of examples where they didn't. But it still begs the question, like, having him kill everyone. Sometimes what happens is we'll have these hard questions come up, and we start coming up with some pretty bad theories. Can I share a few bad theories with you that are very common, actually? Sometimes people think that God has changed, Right? That God was angry in the Old Testament. Ever heard that one? He was angry in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, I guess he took a Valium or something. And he's just like, chill. It's like, you know, he's happy God in the New Testament. Maybe some people believe he, he played bad cop in the Old Testament, right? He was like, well, all right, we tried bad cop. Let's try good cop and see if that works. But the thing is, is God doesn't change. Now, he's... He has a real personhood, right? He's not just some organic mist or something like that. But he has a character and a nature that does not change. Now, those aren't my words. Those are his words. And in Malachi 3.6, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. But sometimes we can read the Old Testament and go, whew, golly, hey, Lord, that seems really heavy. We read in the New Testament and go, wow, you just seem to have lightened up. Um, these bad theories can like, cause us to just avoid the Old Testament altogether and just kind of get where, we comfortable, where we're comfortable. But we can learn so much in the Old Testament. And while there are these places where we'll have hard questions, there is so much in there because the, the Old Testament has all the seeds of the gospel in it. And the Old Testament is all about the preparation for someone very special who is going to come. I'll give you one guess who that person is. Jesus, right? And we don't always get all the answers that we're looking for, but in the, in the case of Jericho and uh, the rest of Canaan, that, that land of Israel, um, God does give us some insight. But what we have, the insight is actually found in the book of Deuteronomy, and the insight was given to the Israelites years before they went in. And I want to read to you out of Deuteronomy chapter 9. We're going to read verses 4 through 6. This scripture has to, go, has to do with when the Israelites would in the future go into the land. We just read in Joshua 9 where they were going into the land. Follow me? All right, Deuteronomy 9, 4. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No. It is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going to take possession of this land. But on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then that this is not because of your righteousness that the Lord is going to give you this good land to possess. For you are a stiff-necked people. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> so if you didn't, you probably picked up on it. The Lord is not giving them this land because the Israelites are so good. He, no, actually, he's driving these people out because the Canaanites had been so, such a wicked people. Um, which is fascinating to me because the promise of this land 
wasn't just in Deuteronomy. It goes all the way back to Genesis several hundred years before. Abraham, Father Abraham, before Israel was a nation of millions, Father Abraham, the beginning of the nation, he was given the promise that he would give a land. You know what that means? That means that God, he saw the future. Shocker. And he thought, I need to give Abraham a land because I'm making him into a nation. That makes sense, right? And so when he went to go pick that land, he went real estate shopping in my mind. He's like, let me look around the planet. He's looking around the globe. He actually chose the land because there was such a wickedness in it that he needed to deal with it. Sobering, isn't it? And so that may appease some of us, not all of us, But to know that there was something behind the where and the when and the who he chose, even whether or not we completely understand it, it's interesting to see that God had something behind what he was doing, and it wasn't just happenstance. He didn't just like turn the globe and go, oh, I guess I'll pick there. It's got water. It's got nice views. You know, there was more to it than that. This particular, um, this particular land and this, the, the particular people who were living in it called the Canaanites, um, the Canaanite sin had been going on for a really long time. Sometimes you can read in Scripture, and it just kind of feels like boom, 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 boom. And these events are actually happening over decades, over hundreds of years. Do you follow me? So sometimes it can just feel like, gosh, that was just like really quick, when it's actually no, this wasn't flippant. This was in a long-term plan. We're just reading pages and scriptures and things are moving along at a a quick pace. They say that the people who were living in the land, the Canaanites, um, they they were at a particularly very dark period of history where they practiced every sexual sin that there is. And I'm not going to name them. I I was going to type them out in my notes. I was like, there are children in the room. they offered their children as sacrifices to a, um, an idol called Molech, which is pretty despicable and pretty evil. Um, there is a principle in Scripture about judgment um, that we see. And what we see is that God has an appointed time when he judges wickedness. And like with a nation, what he'll do is, is there is this point where basically the Lord says, I'm fed up. And the way it describes it in Scripture, in Psalms and in Isaiah, is like this cup gets filled out and he pours out his wrath. Now, if we were to turn the table and think about our own history, we think about like Hitler's regime and some really evil, diabolical things. For most of us, we wish God would move faster, not slower. Do you follow me? And so we, can, we read through these things, and, and the question is, is God in a position where he is allowed to judge as creator? Well, yes, he has that as authority. And it's actually part of his job description is to be judge. And we get uncomfortable about those things, but it is part of what he does. And, and I mentioned earlier before Noah The story in the Old Testament goes, in in the beginning, you had Adam and Eve who fell, and and sickness, I mean, sin just began to grow and grow and grow into the days of Noah, which is still in, in, in Genesis. And it says in Genesis, it says that all of mankind's thoughts were evil all of the time. And that's when God brought a flood and said, Noah, I'm hitting the reset button. I want humanity, and I'm going to restart with you, right? 
And then you see these places in the Old Testament where, where God is, um, is judging and uh, we, we see these kind of things. But then, like I talked about back in October with that message on hell, uh, we know that there is a final judgment as well. Do you follow me? I think it's important to know that um, God is still judging nations. That has not changed. There's no indication in Scripture that God doesn't still deal with people on na- the nation level. And for some of us, we're like, well, I wish you would deal with some nations quicker. I think that's an important tension for us to remember. Sometimes we can read in Scripture and go, wow, that was really tough. But then we read another, then we, we live in our own kind of timeline and we go, gosh, I wish you would just get with it and take care of them. Aren't you glad that judging is not our pay grade? I mean that quite literally. There is a judge, and praise God, we're not it. I don't want that responsibility. That's not who, that is, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to know God, to serve him, and to make him known, and to let people know that there is a Savior and that there is a good God, right? The reality is we read these things as New Testament Christians, and we have challenges with them, and the reason we have challenges with them are very reasonable. You and I have experienced forgiveness. Amen? We've experienced salvation. We've experienced love. For God so loved the world, right? Like we've experienced that nature of who God is. And then when we see his wrath in Scripture and we see his judgment in Scripture, it's almost like, Dad, is that you? You know what I'm talking about? We've experienced a truth like in 1 John where it says perfect love drives out all fear. That God's kindness leads us to repentance. And you can almost feel like, I'm getting to know someone totally different. No, you're getting to know their love and who he is. But you know what God says, his identity, he says, "Uh, God is love, right? doesn't say that God is wrath. It says that God is love. God does have judgment. It's part of his nature. And the reality is, all of us have a sense of judgment in us. All of us have punish our children, all of us have just, you know, there are, there is, that is in us, but that's at such a level that we get uncomfortable, we probably should be uncomfortable. And what's great is, it's not your job, and it's not my job. Amen? Amen. Like I said, sometimes we can think that God does not judge anymore, and yet there is a final judgment coming, right? I think just in the way that sometimes these things make us uncomfortable, we also need it to create the right thing in us. For instance, knowing that God is a judge should give us an urgency about the gospel, right? That's the right thing for it to urge in us, is a, gosh, I want people to know who Jesus is. I don't want people to know who people say Jesus is or wrong views of who who Jesus is. And frankly, there's wrong views about Jesus. There's wrong views about who Christians are. And there are people out there who have a dialogue that Christians are just mean and judgmental. And the reality is we're broken people who've received grace. And we want other people to receive that grace as well. Amen? Amen? We may speak the truth, but we better speak it in a loving way. Truth is not a sharp edge that you hit people with. Truth is something that you allow to stand for itself, and it exhibits the nature of who God is. The reality is, God has not changed. 
And I'm going to develop that in a little bit. Um, in the New Testament, we do see some, some glimmers of, of there are moments where God just kind of like puts a solid wall, if you will. There's a story in the New Testament of a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. This is in the book of Acts. And this is in the early church days where God is moving and, and it's just such a pure, like brand new thing, the church. And there's this couple, um, Ananias and Sapphira, and what they did is they went and sold their house and they were going to give all the proceeds to the church to, to help support this community. What had happened was thousands of people had like stayed and lived in Jerusalem and just became this big church community because their, God was moving and there was just need for finances. So this couple sells their house, but what they did wrong was they said to the, the leaders of the church, this is everything we got for the house. And they were lying about it. Scripture even says they did not have to give this money. They did not have to say we gave it all, but they wanted to look good and they wanted the prestige of we gave it all, baby. <laughs> and Ananias is standing in front of Peter and, the, and, and, he, and Peter says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit and Ananias dropped dead. Y'all, that's in the New Testament. Sapphira comes in. Says my, it doesn't say she sauntered like that in scripture. But she comes in. They ask one simple question. Is this what you got for the house? Yes. They, and, and she drops it. They, and what Peter says is that I hear the footsteps of the men who came for your husband. And there was kind of this whoa that happened. Kind of like, all right, well, let's not lie to God unnecessarily, right? God has not changed. However, the covenant has changed. I want you to follow me here. God has not changed, but the covenant has changed. In the Old Testament, there was a covenant of the law. Now, covenant is a fancy word for contract. God makes a covenant with a people and he says, here are the, he writes both sides of the contract, his side and our side. And he says, here's the covenant, here's our contract. And there was this, uh, in the Old Testament, this covenant of the law. And the law, it included a lot. It included civil laws because this was for a nation. It wasn't just for people living their day-to-day -day lives. This was for the nation of Israel. So it had civil laws, it had um, moral laws, and it had laws about how to worship all three of those. And um, it articulated in those moral laws the morality of God. And so it was things like, don't sleep with someone that you're not married to. It was things like, don't steal, don't murder. Like, there were these stipulations in it, right? The covenant of the law would tell them also like what they could eat and what they could not eat. Stipulations about washing. Um, the Old Testament law, it displayed how pure, how good, and how holy God is. And what God's people found out, now track with me here, this is really important. What God's people found out was no matter how hard we try, we can't measure up. That if we have a law that is perfect, then no matter how hard we try, we can't become good enough. There's no self-help book that you can write. There's no trick to your sleeping pattern, your eating pattern, that you can just be the good enough person that can follow God's law. Now, God didn't do that as like a ha-ha, like I gave you a law and you can't do it. No, it was there to teach us something is what Romans says, to teach us that we can't become good enough. You follow me? 
Was God being cruel? No, actually it says that God actually judges those people by their faith and their obedience, their intent and their faith in God, not by how perfect they were. And faith and obedience is the same thing that we're judged by today. Do we trust him? And are we, are we, do we want to follow him? Do you follow me? But we learn something in the Old Testament that is so important. We cannot be good enough. It's counterintuitive. And honestly, people think about Christianity as well. They just want to control you. No, that's not really what it is. Like, I know I can't be good enough. Like, I know that's not possible. I, it actually is a relief to know that I can't work hard enough to be good enough. Honestly, it takes a weight off of me. It doesn't mean that I don't want to follow him, be transformed by him, uh, and all of that. That's another message. We, we read in these, the Old Testament law, and sometimes we get uncomfortable. Like, I could never do that. Exactly. Exactly. Like, you're getting it. When you read that, you should go, oh, I'm so glad I, I don't have, like, I, I couldn't do it. Right. You get it. And sometimes we read and go, I don't even want to read this stuff. But it's actually revealing something about how good and moral and pure and perfect God is. We should look, we should read the Old Testament and think, I could never be righteous enough. Through my actions, I could never be good enough. If you read it that way, you're getting it. Through my works, I could never achieve righteousness. We all say that with me? Through my works, I could never achieve righteousness. If you read the Old Testament and got that, you're getting it. Now, I want to read to you a scripture in Romans. One of my favorites. I know I have a lot of favorites. This is one of my favorite of favorites. Romans 3.21. Now, will you read this with me carefully? But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference, Jew and Gentile. All have sinned. Would you all say that's me? Oh, I'm sorry. I meant like say, that's me. All have sinned. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Y'all are amazing. I'm, I, I, yeah, that's on me. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. Y'all, that right there is God's judgment for your sins and my sins. Are you picking that up? God hasn't changed. He resolved his judgment in Jesus for you. That's why you feel so comfortable in his presence. That's why you feel like I can trust my father. That's why you feel like I can come to him and I know that he loves me and you should feel that way. You shouldn't feel like I'm just waiting to see when he's gonna smack me around. No, 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 no. All of the, 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 um, the judgment for your sin and my sin was carried out on that cross. God hasn't changed, but his love is so powerful that he would send his son to the cross rather than you and me. Yo, that is the gospel. It's hard to leave the Old Testament out of that story, isn't it? 
But what happens is we want to leave the Old Testament out sometimes. I'm not accusing us. I'm actually trying to um, speak to something that I know goes on in our hearts that makes us uncomfortable and speak to that. Like It's normal that you're feeling uncomfortable, but please trust God through it. Let's keep reading. God presented Jesus Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did not, he did this, excuse me, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time and so to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. This is one of the most beautiful scriptures because it says there is a righteousness apart from the Old Testament law. God says, I knew you couldn't do the Old Testament law. I didn't put it there to shame you. I didn't put it there to demoralize you. It was there as a lesson for us to know that you cannot achieve purity and righteousness in your strength and your ability. So important. But that God has provided us a righteousness, and that righteousness, um, Abigail, will you get me that um, napkin or tissue? That righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. And here's what happens. When you and I declare, Jesus, I am a sinner, and I need saved, and I want to follow you, what God does is he takes Jesus' righteousness and he puts it on your life. And he makes you clean. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's called impugned righteousness. Use that word this week in a conversation at lunch. <laughs> takes Jesus' righteousness and he puts it on your life. He gives you something you don't deserve. That's why it's called grace. Grace is a fancy Bible word that means gift. Undeserved, unmerited favor, a gift that you can't get, you, can, you cannot earn, you can't work for, you can only receive it. Isn't that powerful? And so he puts his righteousness on us and treats us like we had never sinned in our life. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Now some of y'all are on to me. You go, yeah, but when I look under the hood, I'm like, whew, they're a mess. <laughs> Scripture deals with that as well. There's a process, and I, we preached on it last year sometime. I talked about sanctification. And throughout our lives, God takes the righteousness he put on us, and he works it in us. And he transforms us. But it's by the power of the Holy Spirit, not through just your effort, your cooperation not your work. Such an important distinction. We cooperate with the, what the Holy, the Holy Spirit says, you shouldn't be looking at that. And you're like, you're right. I shouldn't be looking at that. You shouldn't be thinking that. You're like, you're right. Help cleanse my mind. Help my mind. But it's cooperating with the Holy Spirit rather than this view of, oh my word, my thought is wrong. I got to run from God before he gets me. Good luck with that. And he ain't chasing you to bury you He's chasing you with his love. And he wants to 
to, to forgive you. He wants to restore you. He wants to transform you. And that transformation isn't about control. It's about what's good for you. When we look back and we look at the whole story, it is such a beautiful story. From the moment of Adam and Eve, God said, you know what? I'm going to bring a savior to them. I'm going to bring someone who I'm going to resolve the justice issue and I'm going to demonstrate my love at the same point with Jesus, my only son on the cross. It's so beautiful. And in the timeline of him bringing that, the covenant of the law was put there to teach us something that we needed to learn. And we see on this kind of global scale that God deals with nations. And there's a point where a nation's wickedness gets to a point where like God's like, you know what, I'm just taking care of it because there isn't a transformation. But you see, even in stories like Jonah, where God sends a Jonah to Nineveh, and, God, and, and the prophet Jonah's like, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I don't like those jokers. Let them perish. And God's like, that's not me. That's not my heart. That's the last resort, not the first resort. And so we read these difficult scriptures, and we can be perplexed. And I want to tell you, God is not intimidated by your question. But a lot of times there is a perspective, a different place of standing to look at that question, and there's a God perspective of it. And I don't think God's trying to hide it all from us, but we don't have to know it all to serve the one who does know it all. But we need to trust him. Maybe you're here today, and you have that revelation in your heart. I'm not good enough. I want to tell you, you are in good company. I want to tell you you're in good company. There isn't anyone in the room who is good enough. It doesn't matter where they were born. It doesn't matter their experience. It doesn't matter how good a person they've been in their life. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. The old, the old um, Testament law was, is in agreement with you. We cannot be good enough. But Jesus was good enough. And Jesus is good enough. And he paid for your sins. Like really paid for your sin. Because he didn't deserve it, he could take yours and mine on himself. And his desire is to reconcile you to God, the Father. God wants you in his family. Do you hear that today? God wants you in his family. And he gave his only son as a way for you to be brought in to his family. His motivation was his love. His motivation is he does want you. He is not intimidated by your sin. He is not intimidated by your past. But he's also not going to be apologetic about the fact that he's changing and transforming us. Because it's for our good. I want to tell you today, if you're in a place where you want to receive his love in your life, the life that he has for you today. He's ready for you. The work is finished. It's all done. He won't make you turn to him. But if you will, in your heart, say, God, save me. I want to follow you. He will save you because he loves you today. I want to encourage you today, wherever you are in your walk, don't be intimidated by the hard stuff. God has got good answers for them. I have a feeling when we get to heaven, a lot of the answers will be like, I don't even care anymore. But your hard question, 
don't hold it over God. That is when we try to play God. We can submit it to God. Some of our hard questions touch our hearts, touch our experience, touch our lives. And they're very, very sensitive. And God knows that. He's not intimidated by it. I want you to know he loves you. This book, this Bible, it is a love story. It has judgment in it. It has harshness in it. But it is a love story because God's desire is for us to be in his family and to be part. He's not trying to drive us away. God's kindness does lead us to repentance. And he wants you today. Would you stand with me today? Hey, if you're watching online today and you're like, I need to pray with someone, uh, I want to give my heart to Jesus, whatever it is, um, we want you to feel connected to us. Um, you can go on to victorychristian.church, click on next steps, give us your information, and we're just going to reach out to you this week. If you're here in the room today, I'm going to invite our prayer team up, and uh, I'm going to close in prayer. But then if you need prayer today, um, our prayer team can come now. Um, if you need prayer today, I want you to just feel free that you can get prayer from someone. It can be about the message. It can just be about something that you're walking through in life. But I, I want to take a moment, and we're going to pray about just these difficult things and that God will, will minister to us in those things. Are you with me today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love you. And I trust you today. God, when I think about how powerful you are, and when I think about, Lord, um, your judgment, there is a fear that rises up in me like, oh God, it's so intense. But I know, God, that I can trust you. And I know, God, that you love me. Lord, I pray for us, Lord, when it comes to difficult scriptures. Lord, give us the resources, the conversations, but most of all, the heart that trusts you and bring these things to you. God, we love you and we trust you as good. And Lord, today we look at the whole story. And Lord, the the these final chapters of the story where you have sent your only son because you love us. God, that's the summary of an amazing journey and God, of your goodness. So Lord, today our prayer is, Lord, we want to know you and trust you more. We want our community, Lord God, to know the goodness of Jesus and know the truth of the story. We want, Lord Jesus, for we don't have to have all the answers, but God, um, some of the answers to the hard questions, Lord, just kind of appease that goes, God knows what he's doing and we trust him. Lord, we trust you today and we love you today. Father, there are people in here who have, they've had some hard questions and probably not something I've covered today. But Lord, let there be a deep trust in us, a trust for who you are, a trust for that you know what you're doing, a trust that you indeed are love and that you care and that your desire is that none would perish. Lord, we love you and we trust you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like to know how you can give, go to victorychristian.church.